John chapter 20 gives us, in verse 19, the record of Jesus appearing for the first time to the ten, the apostles. Judas has committed suicide. Thomas is not there. And uh, the other ten are there. And evidently some other disciples are there as well. Jesus has appeared in this day, this is all the same day, to Mary Magdalene first, revealed himself to her, then to the other women as they were returning from the tomb, having seen angels. Then he appeared somewhere, we're not told specifically where, to Peter in the timeline there. And uh, then to the two on the road to Emmaus, who had returned to Jerusalem to tell their story. And now this will be the first time that he appears to all of the disciples gathered together. These men that had been with him for over three years, if you can imagine. They had walked with him. They had watched him feed the multitudes. They had watched him raise the dead. They had laughed with him. They sat at the table with him. There were times, no doubt, when they were climbing up a hill, when he reached back and grabbed their hand, pulled them up, or they may have grabbed him and pulled him up. Uh, you know, they, they were in that most intimate relationship. They leaned upon his breast. And this is the first time he comes to all of them gathered together. It's remarkable. So I'll begin reading in verse 19 here in John 20, where it says, the same day... At evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus unto them, Peace unto you, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. So just hold that. I will read to you from Luke. You don't have to turn there. Luke basically gives us record of the same incident. He gives us different details. It says, and as they thus spake together, Mark chapter 16, verse 14 tells us they were, they, they were seated at the table, seated at meat. They had food. They were eating together. They're locked in a room. Luke says, and as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrightened. That's a bad combination. It's bad enough to be terrified, but to be terrified and affrightened, I'm not sure what affrightened it is, but it's got to be worse than terrified. They were terrified and affrightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit, a ghost, and he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Why do these thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands, my feet, it is I. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see that I have. 
And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while, he yet, um, while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and he did eat before them, proving that it was him. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were spoken of me in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture. So Luke gives us different details. John, for his own you know, reasons, led of the Spirit, gives us his rendition there of that day. They're gathered now. They're talking. Um, we don't know what Peter's saying to them. Out of the ten that are gathered, Peter's the only one who's seen the risen Lord. Um, they're sitting at a table with food. Mark tells us that. <clears throat> and it tells us here the timing. John's very specific. He says it was the same day. We're talking about Sunday. Then he says at evening, because he wants them to understand the evening is attached to the day because the Jews at evening started the next day. He's writing the Gentiles 60 years later. Sunday has become the Lord's Day, the day when the church met. So he's very specific and says that then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, which is Sunday, he's being very particular, when the doors, plural, interesting, were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace. Be unto you. So uh, they're in this situation now where the religious leaders are angry. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, two of the, the most prominent members of the Sanhedrin, were told Joseph of Arimathea was an honorable counselor. And again, the Talmud said there had only been 14 of those in the history of the nation. Uh, Nicodemus, the teacher in Israel in the school of Gamaliel, they had defected. And they had gone and taken the, the dead body of this one Jesus. And no doubt it's rubbed the Jews the wrong way. <clears throat> now the soldiers have come to him and said, hey, an angel came and rolled the stone away. And the religious leader said, look, just if, you, if there's a big hubbub about this, just tell them his disciples came while you were sleeping and stole the body. It says, which is still being reported to this day, which is ridiculous because this team of soldiers, if the commanding officer came and found them asleep, they were all put to death. And so they say, tell them that they came while you're asleep, stole the body, and uh, we'll take care of it if there's a political problem here. Um, so they, they know the Jews are hostile. They've heard the truth about this. Pilate, no doubt, has heard that his seal had been broken. And when you did that, there was, there was, you know, blood was going to be shed. So they're hidden away now for fear of the Jews, thinking, well, they killed our master. They're not going to hesitate to kill us. They know who we are. The book of Acts said they took note they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they had been with Jesus. Everybody knows these 10 were associated with him, had walked with him. So they're locked behind the doors, <clears throat> plural, Interesting. And it says the doors were shut. 
that's sealed, locked. Literally, it's barred. Probably what they would do is put a, they didn't have a lock, you know, deadlock the way we did. They would put a bar inside the door across that you couldn't get in. So the doors are barred. And John is giving us that information, not because he wants to let us know how secure the place was. The house was locked. The room they were in was locked. He's telling us how secure it is because he wants to tell us that Jesus had no problem with all of those locked doors when he wanted to come to these guys. And it says he came and stood. Doesn't say he climbed through the window. Doesn't say he unlocked the door. Doesn't say he walked through the wall. It just says he came and stood. He was just there. He had no problem leaving a stone tomb the same way before the stone was removed. He had no problem leaving the grave clothes that were wrapped around him. He has no problem stepping into this room where everything's locked and so forth. He's just there. Luke says they saw him and they were terrified. You know, they thought it was Casper, the friendly ghost. You know, you just imagine Jesus is coming with the best news humanity has heard since creation. And they're going ah, and they're the apostles. You know, they're scared to death. So, it, you know, he, he says to them, peace. You know, what is it with you guys? You know, they're terrified. He says, peace be unto you. And he shows them his hands and his feet. Now, look, even then they're looking. He shows them. He demonstrates. It says here in John, his hands and his side, because John's going to tell us that he said to Thomas, put your fingers in the holes of my hand, thrust your hand into my side. So he makes note of the hands and the side. Luke mentions hands and feet. But Jesus is demonstrating, I'm the one you walked with. I'm the one you've spent these years with. I'm the one that was brutalized and, and crucified. And I'm standing here before you. And he says, they're afraid. He said, no, feel me. Does a spirit have flesh and bone? He didn't say flesh and blood. Does a spirit have flesh and bone? His blood had been drained out on the cross. And then he says to them, do you have anything to eat? Then they say, now we know for sure that's him, you know. I mean, you know, they had sat so many times at the table with him. But he's demonstrating, you know, this, this resurrection. Remarkable because we don't know in the interval of the 40 days before he ascends, he appears unto them many times. Where is he when he's not with them? You don't know because I don't know. No, but we will know. We'll understand. We'll know fully. We fully know. Where is he when he's not? You know, re remarkable just to think. <clears throat> and it's a physical frame risen from the dead. That's important because it tells us that our citizenship is in heaven. It's not of this world. Isn't that wonderful today? <laughs> to be citizens of somewhere else. You know, and it says, from whence we wait, we're looking with expectancy for the return of the Savior, aren't we? And it says, who's going to fashion our bodies like unto his glorious body, that he has the power to do this. So our bodies are going to be like his glorious body. You know, it seems that in the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve in their original creation, when God brings Eve to Adam, he says, ah, 
this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. He doesn't say this is my flesh and blood. It seems like mankind before he falls, like Jesus in his resurrected frame, is a spirit drive, not a blood drive system, that the spirit is what kept man alive. When Adam sinned, his light goes out, and then life is in the blood, Leviticus says. Maybe that's why blood's always emptied out in the sacrificial system, because it has to do with sin and shedding of, of life, of blood. But our bodies in resurrection evidently are going to be bone and flesh, because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Evidently, flesh and bone can. So imagine we're not going to have restrictions. Our bodies are going to be fashioned like unto his glorious body. That's going to be great. I mean, no more being tired. No cancer, no sickness, nothing wearing us out, no restrictions. You know, I wish I could go to Club Med. Appear there, go. You know, just, you know, imagine what it's going to be. And he's demonstrating this new model. But he's doing more than that because he, when he, sh- he shows him his hands and his feet, his hands and his side, he says, peace be unto you. What he says is shalom. And that's said commonly today as well in Israel where there's Jewish communities and so forth. But it's vastly different when Jesus says shalom, the morning of his resurrection. He says, peace be unto you. There's never been a shalom like that shalom since the beginning of the world. It had never happened. And in regards to this shalom, he shows them his hands and his side. They're afraid. He says, peace. The price has been paid. Redemption is complete. The resurrection is standing before you. You have peace with the Father now, who so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. And he says, peace. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't ask for any explanations. Uh, Didn't you guys say whatever happened, you were going to stick with me? You know. Uh, Peter, didn't you say, hey, the rest of these guys, You know, they may leave, but you can count on me. Uh, You know, there's there's not a mention of or, or a question for explanation. All there is, my hands, my side, peace. The reason I went to the cross, because you were a bunch of fleers and deniers. And that's been taken care of. And now you don't need to be afraid. It's me. Look at my hands, my hands, my side. The price has been paid. You're free. You're free. When he said so, he showed them his hands and his side. And then were the disciples glad when they saw, they perceived the Lord. Then they understood. He, here's the, the one we walk with, the one they took, the one they killed, the one they crucified. He's standing here in front of us in a physical frame that's raised. Again, the wonderful thing about resurrection, you and I are going to see friends and relatives like this, you know. I'll be 30, so don't look for the old guy when we get there, but you know. <clears throat> How remarkable that will be. Grandparents, friends, relatives to embrace 
them again. Jesus said, handle me. Does the spirit have flesh and bone? Remarkable. And it says, then when they saw him, they realized, they perceived that it was him. They were glad. And then Jesus said unto them again, peace be unto you. As my father has sent me, even so send I you. So again, a second time, peace be unto you. The first time he, he shows them his hand and his side and he says, peace, evidently. That's peace with God. The price has been paid. You and I, as sinners saved by grace, no longer have to be afraid of God, who's now our Heavenly Father. We have peace with God. Then he says that he's going to send them the way the Father sent him. And he, he begins that again with peace. And that, evidently, that's the peace of God. You know, Christians can have peace with God and sometimes never experience the peace of God in their life because they won't trust the Lord. They're worried, am I really saved? They're worried, oh, I messed up. Now he's not going to want anything to do with me. You know, we have peace with God. That is a judicial decision in heaven. And the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed to us. It's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. Right? We love to live by feeling. Sometimes I'll talk to somebody and they'll say, well, I feel this and I feel that and I feel this. And then I felt this and now I feel this. And now I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, I don't feel any of that. You know, I just, <laughs> you know, feelings are wonderful. I'm not against feelings, but there are certain things in our life that are truths and they're higher than feelings. I mean, this peace he's giving them <clears throat> is not by changing circumstances. The circumstances still were. The doors were locked. The Jewish community, community was hostile. The circumstances was, was the fact that there was something to fear, but the peace he's giving is higher than the fear. It's higher than the circumstance. There's something that even in the circumstance, when he sends us forth, whatever's going on, we can have peace. Just imagine the world that we're in, <clears throat> we can have peace. We're his sent ones, right? Anybody? Okay, three of us agree on this. <clears throat> the rest of you think I'm lying. I understand. When Jesus prayed in John 17, he said, As thou hast sent me, talking to his Father, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And then he says, and neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. So he, he there says, I've, Father, I've sent them as you've sent me. And who's he talking about? Not just these guys only, but for those, you and I, who will believe according to their, world, their word. <clears throat> He's saying you and I can have the peace of God in our lives today as we look around. Look. The world's crazy, right? I didn't watch the news this morning because I got up and studied, but I'm assuming I saw it last night. I'm assuming, was it still crazy this morning? I didn't check yet. I just want to make sure. Uh, and somehow in the middle of all of this, we can have peace. 
I so easily surrender it when I watch the news. I get aggravated. This guy, that guy, they're doing this now. No, no, they're going to do this. We need to do that. We need to do this. Like, you know, I'm going to get the militia. We're going to fix. No, no, no. This ain't our world. We're not citizens here. We got a new body coming. We have a new home. We have a new Lord, a new Savior, a new destiny. And, and as his messengers, he sent us into this world. We can do that for such a time as this. I mean, we could have been born any time in history, in any race, in any place. He knew we'd all be sitting here. And this is recorded. And it comes to us. That as the Father, he said, has sent me, so send I you. It's two different words for sent. Father sent me, the word is with authority. He says, so I send. The idea is I was sent, you're sent, but I so I send you under authority is the idea. But the point is, we're, we're under authority. We're sent. And, he, and I love the fact that Jesus in one place says, he says, the Son of Man doesn't bear witness of himself, but the Father who sent him, he bears witness of him. That's important for us. Because I'm always seeing those who desire to be celebrity. They desire to be radio and TV. They desire to be out there. And everybody can do it now with all of the media. We can put muscles in ourselves and make ourselves handsome and put us out there on a dating site and deceive everybody. Uh, there's just a hunger for celebrity. And in the pulpit, it's the same across the country. You have to have this, have to have these clothes, have to have television, have to have lasers, have to have smoke machines, have to have... No, no, Jesus said... As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And he said, and the Son of Man, when he came, he wasn't bearing witness of himself, but the Father who sent him, he bears witness. If you will be faithful to Jesus and you'll let him lead you, he will use you. He's more interested in the servant than in the service, but he'll use you. And you don't have to bear witness of yourself. The Father will do it because you're sent under authority. And look, most of the people that are going to be in heaven with us will not have been led to Christ by television or by an evangelistic crusade in a stadium. The vast majority of people in heaven will have been led to Christ by a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad or a grandma or a friend or a classmate. By us. By us. <clears throat> he says, peace again to them. And he says, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And as he says that then, it says, and when he had said this, the idea is relative to that, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. In other words, for you and I to go and fulfill the calling of God in our own strength is an exercise in frustration. Nothing's ever going to happen. We ain't got the tools. But if we're sent, and we're sent filled with the Holy Spirit, that's a completely different ballgame. And, and he says it here. He, said, he, he says it to him again, peace be unto you. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. And when he said that, it says, he breathed on them and said to them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Interesting. Breathe on them 
um, breathe into them, your translation might say. Um, it, it drives me crazy sometimes studying because I, I read any, a lot of people who have a trouble with the Holy Spirit or the timing of this try to say things like, well, the best manuscripts just say, and he breathed. We knew he breathed, you know, he breathed, not breathe on them, not breathe into them. Every single English translation I can find, and I have this long wrist, I have the long, all kinds of stuff in my office. Every single one of them says he breathed on them or he breathed into them. I can't find this best manuscript that doesn't say that. He breathed on them, breathed into them. If you're listening and you want to argue, it's a first article, uh, active, indicative, and it means to breathe into or breathe upon. You can forget that, but somebody out there will get aggravated. It's wonderful. <laughs> the text indicates that the spirit was imparted by the breath of Jesus. Emphusa, the only time that word is used in the New Testament, to breathe. He breathed the spirit of God into them. Remarkable. Look. In the Old Testament, in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you have that word used in the Old Testament in several places. The first time it's used in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 2, and it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So God formed our body out of the dust of the ground. Man had a consciousness and God breathes into him the breath of life and man becomes a living being. You know, creating God's image and likeness, an image bearer with life breathed into him by God. Then, of course, Adam sins. The light goes out. He knows he's naked. In, in Revelation, when we're there, before the throne of God, it says we're all again clothed with this fine linen, it's bright and it's white, and it's the righteousness and righteousness as of the saints. The saints. Interesting. Jesus created man in his righteousness, in his own likeness, in his image. Adam sins, the light goes out, and Jesus at this point in John 20 has been waiting 4,000 years to breathe life into man again. He breathed life into Adam, the first creation. And he breathes life into us, the new creation, we're told. Paul tells us this, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam, Jesus, was made a quickening, a life-giving spirit. So Christ breathes on them. Interesting, we see it again in Ezekiel 37, verses 9 and 10, where Ezekiel seeing this valley of dry bones, God said, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's smart enough by then to say, you know, Lord. And he says, prophesy unto them. And it says, the Lord, same word, breathe life into them. And the bones stood upon their feet through the breath of the Lord. It tells us that the nation of Israel was reborn, came back to life. It tells us in Isaiah Chapter 11, verse 4, that one day he's coming and with the breath of his mouth, he's going to judge the wicked. So he breathed life into Adam. 
the history of redemption worked out to the point in this room where he breathes life again into man, the new creation, we're new creations in Christ. 1948, some of our lifetimes, he breathed life into this people that will come back to their ancient homeland, and that's what's all over the news today, the breath of God. And the wicked one day will experience the same thing, the breath of God. He says to them here, receive the Holy Spirit. The the idea is receive it. The Greek is then and there. Receive it at once. Jesus in John 14 had said to them in verse 17, he said, even the spirit of truth, he was talking about the spirit, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, that's Jesus himself, and he shall be in you. <clears throat> when Jesus breathed on them, and it said, receive the spirit here and now, You can't turn that into a symbol because it's related to his sending in the verse before. That's not symbolic. That's literal. He's sending. And in context of that, God's calling is always God's enabling. God doesn't call someone and then not enable them. You know, I grew up on the Pentecostal side of the church early days. I've seen someone come and pray for somebody, you know, Wanting to flay, you know, flay them in the spirit. They're not falling down. Say, because, well, it's because they lack faith. I felt the power of God come back into me. You know, or praying for somebody that needed to get healed. And the person didn't get healed. And said, well, it was their lack of faith. Oh, cut me a break. I'm born again, not born yesterday. You know. <laughs> the spirit comes when the Lord says it comes. Here and now. And it isn't just a symbol. He sends it. He breathes, the Spirit comes. All of us in this room that have been born again have been born again by the Spirit of God. These men at this point in time are born again. Were they born again before this? Well, they were believers before this. But they couldn't be born again until the crucifixion and the resurrection. Old Testament saints believed, they believed in a sacrificial system, substitutionary atonement. But once Christ dies on the cross and rises, then he is able to be the sender of the spirit and of his saints into the world. So these men at this point are born again. Luke tells us he opened their understanding so they might understand the scripture. And yet still they're to wait in Acts chapter 1 until the Spirit comes upon them. Jesus was born of the Spirit. Gabriel told Mary that. And then Jesus waited. His public ministry began when the Spirit came upon him at the baptism of John. These men here are born again. This is the Spirit. This is life being given to them. Their understanding being open. These next 40 days, incredibly important, the things the Lord is going to say to them. If you don't understand that, imagine your unsaved relatives that are antagonists, you know, just they don't want to hear. Do you think if you talk to them for 40 days, they'd understand all of this? 
these men here are enlivened. There's regeneration. They're born again. And for 40 days, then Jesus, who had opened their understanding, is able to talk to them about the things of the kingdom. They will wait till Pentecost for the power to move forward in the ministry. But he says to them here, receive ye the Holy Ghost. He doesn't say you will receive in the future. He says here and now receive the Holy Ghost. And then remarkably, he says, whose so if soever anyone's sins you remit, they are remitted to dismiss, to be sent away unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. He said something similar in, in Matthew chapter 16. Look, both places, the, the language reads like this. Whosoever sins you dismiss, their sins have already been dismissed. And whosoever sins you retain, their sins have already been retained. The idea is the apostles, the disciples, you and I, we don't have the authority to send anybody's sins away. You know, they said to Jesus when he, the, the man that was crippled, the Pharisee said, who can forgive sins but God? Right on. This is just telling us as we're sent, we're ambassadors, we have the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> when we encounter someone who has asked Christ for forgiveness and believes in him with authority, that's how we're sent. We can say to them, your sins have been sent away. They're dismissed. Not that we're doing it, but we have the authority to confirm it. And we dare not say anything else. You dare not lay on someone who has come to Christ and asked forgiveness that they need to keep this rule and they need to keep that rule and they need to do this. No, 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 no. The authority we have is to say it's done. On the cross, he said it is finished. Not mostly finished. Not I um, can't wait till you contribute a little bit to this. It is finished. Paid in full. And we have the authority to say that because sometimes Christians, they struggle. Oh, I did this. I messed up. <clears throat> and we can say to them, look, you know, you go to the Lord. First John tells us what to do. Ask, you know, repent, you know, go to him, confess. But your sins are forgiven. They've been sent away. They've been dismissed. And it says to the individual who refuses his forgiveness and refuses to believe that their sins are retained. The Greek means to hold on with strength. That person can't get away from them. And that's a perfect tense there, which means those sins held on and are holding on now. That person is not free. They may think because they express themselves sexually however they want to, or they do whatever they want to other human beings, or they live however they want to. That's not freedom. That's bondage. And the person who does that is not free. It says here, their sins are clinging to them permanently. And we need to say to those folks, and we dare not say less that you are in your sin. We dare not give them an excuse or give them some woke, friendly, <coughs> social gospel thing. This is saying, look, here's time and eternity. Here's the history of the world. Turn the news on again. The world around us is insane. 
God so loved this insane world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed would not perish but have everlasting life. The heart of God, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, somebody drugged you here for a free breakfast, or I, I don't know why, you're here. Here's the truth. God loves you. And he's given authority to believers to tell you that if you'll accept Jesus as your Savior, if you'll repent of your sins, all of those sins will be sent away. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, Micah tells us in the, it's like being cast into the deepest part of the sea. It tells us your sins God will remember no more. doesn't say he'll forget them. He can't forget. He's God. But he can choose not to remember. And your sins will not be remembered. They'll be sent away. They'll, they'll be separated from you. If you'll trust Christ, you'll be forgiven. And then in front of you is a kingdom. There's joy. There's something that so far surpasses this world that God has in store for those who trust the payment of Christ on the cross. There's all kinds of other religious forms. This is the truth. This says you're a sinner. You don't stand a chance. You're going to go to hell without Jesus. But God loves you, and he sent his son into the middle of all of this. And if you'll accept that, your sins are going to be dismissed once and for all. They can't stick to you because of the blood of Jesus. And we dare not lay any trip on you beyond that. But we have to say as well, with the same authority, if you're here, or you're listening on the radio or somewhere, media, and you refuse to ask Christ for forgiveness and to repent. You're not free. Your sins are still clinging to you. And when you stand before the judge of heaven and earth, those sins will all be there. And we dare not lessen that in any way if we love you and care about you. And that becomes so offensive in the world that we're in. Nine of these 10 that are present will be martyred for that testimony, put to death cruelly. I think of these guys, how remarkable after being with him those years, watching him murdered, crucified, hidden away for fear of the Jews, not believing the women when they said, we've seen him. I don't think they know what to do with Peter. He's sitting there with them, telling them, oh, no, you know, I, I didn't believe the women either. And then he came, you know, just, and then all of a sudden there's Jesus standing in the middle of them. Doors locked. And Luke says, and they're terrified. And he says, look, guys, it's me. Peace. I, I know you denied me. Peter, I, I know that you fled when you said you would stick with me. But look at my hands. The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world, my side. Peace. Peace to you. And guys, as the Father has sent me with this message of salvation, so send I you. And you need to do that filled with his spirit. In the natural, you don't have what's necessary. But as a born again, 
spirit-filled believer, you do. And understand how simple the message is. It's, it separates the world into two categories, not race, not nationality, not language, no prejudice. There are two categories of human beings as far as God Almighty, the Creator, is concerned. There's the saved and there's the lost. And God loves the lost. And the way I came into the world to bear testimony, I'm sending you into the world to bear testimony. And whosoever sins you remit, the people, you know, have repented, they've come to me. Those are sins that have already been remitted. And you're able to give them 100% assurance that they have everlasting life. Even if they're wrestling with it. You dare not add anything to it. You must not. This is what you have to give to them. And for the unbeliever that's here today, that are out there in the world, that fill the news, that don't know Christ, that are in their emptiness and fear and darkness, they have to understand the same offer is there for them. But if they refuse forgiveness, if they refuse to turn from their sin and turn to God for forgiveness through his son, Jesus Christ, if they refuse, their sin clings to them with strength. They're, they're not free from it in any way. And it will be there when they stand before God Almighty. All of their sin. That's the truth. If you refuse Christ, you're separated from him because of your sin, which is still there and will be there forever. But today, you and I, as we, as we leave the church, we enter the mission field. You and I today need to remember, you know, we may go back and forth with our relatives about this, and they might want to argue about this and that, but the crux, the center of the authority we have is to say to them, you know, if, you, if you'll accept Jesus as your Savior. And when that's coming from somebody who's filled with the Spirit, there's something in that. If you'll accept him as your Savior, God will forgive your sins. If you don't, you're going to be lost forever. We have the authority to say that. In fact, not only do we have the authority to do it, we must, we dare not say anything else in regards to salvation and forgiveness. So, chipper little message there. God gave it to us to dispense to a lost world. Sometimes I, you know, I see these medical workers. I, I have experienced enough of uh, the medical profession. Uh, you know, if they came up with a cure for cancer, people would be standing around the block in line waiting for a chance to get it. There would probably be a few people that would say, no, I want to drink carrot juice. I want to, I want to drink brown rice. Uh, you know, 
uh, I don't want that cure. I want, uh, I want to turn my whole body an alkaline and get rid of the acidity, and then the oxygen level will go up, and the cancer will die. You know, there were just pe people who, you know, but, but when they died of cancer, that wouldn't be the person who offered them a cure. It wouldn't be their fault. And this is the cure for the fall of humankind. And isn't it interesting, sometimes we feel, even though we're sent, we have authority, people just don't want to listen. They just don't want to hear. They don't. But wonderfully, here and there, wonderfully, we see people accept Christ. And we watch that. Sometimes it is such a blessing for us to see it, particularly if we get to be the one that's involved, if it's a friend or a relative. So as we have the musicians come this morning, we're going to sing a last song. Um, I'd encourage you, if you're here and you don't know Christ, here's the truth, right, right now. If you accept Jesus today, and the Bible says today's the acceptable day of salvation, if you'll ask Jesus today for forgiveness of sins, your sins will be sent away once and for all, never to come back, completely separated from you, from your history, from, you know, from your resume, it'll be sent away. You'll be completely clear because of the blood of Christ. If you're here today and you're thinking, oh man, get me out of here. I a guy saying the same thing over and over again. You know, and you refuse the forgiveness of Christ. Your sins are retained. They are clinging to you tightly. You will walk out of here with them as part of your being and you will face God as a sinner your choice. So as we sing this last song, if you want to be saved today, and you, you know, I mean, you're, you, you know in your own heart, I'm lost, I'm tired of banging around, I'm running on empty, then you come. I want you to come as we sing this last song. I'm going to ask you to get out of your seat, walk down, stand here. We want to pray with you. Imagine this, in front of everybody. Because everybody will celebrate. And it says, when one sinner comes, all of heaven rejoices. One sinner. You know, some of us, when we got saved, thought, man, I must be bumming out. The angels are bummed today, you know. Uh, when he said, whosoever will may come, he never thought I'd take him up on it kind of a thing, you know. No, no. Anyone who comes to Christ, all of heaven rejoices. Because eternity is changed at that moment. So it doesn't matter what you've done doesn't matter substance, you've destroyed your family, embezzlement, abortion, pornography. It doesn't matter what you've done. That will all be removed and sent away, never to touch you again. Again, I just got a letter a couple of weeks again from David Berkowitz, son of Sam, who's in prison for murdering all those girls who's come to Christ. He's come to Christ. He says it's hard because I know the parents of those girls may never forgive me. And he said, I understand that. And he said, my sister, if you remember, pray for this, you know, how hard it is for her because of his fame of being this mass murderer, son of Sam. And he said, 
I'll die in prison. I know I deserve to do that. But he said, I'm here. I help the warden with special needs patients. I'm giving out Bibles. You know, they moved him to a different prison. He said he was listening to us all the time, you know. Uh, forgiven. Forgiven. You ain't outsinned him. Nobody here has outsinned him. And today there's forgiveness. Whatever your level is, however bad you think, whatever you think your resume is, whatever you've done, Jesus has paid for it. 2,000 years ago on the cross, he paid the price of your sin. And forgiveness is yours. But with authority, uh, I'll tell you this. If you accept Christ today, those sins will be removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Never to be part of your story again. I'll tell you this with authority. If you refuse Christ, you will leave out the, walk out of this building wearing your sins. And they will be there when you stand before God Almighty. And you will be lost forever because of them. Wonderful thing is, that can change. It's up to you. Let's stand. We'll pray together. As we sing this last song, I'd encourage you, if you know you need forgiveness, come. If you're tired of playing the games, come. If you're worn out by it all, come. If you're hopeless, you come. If you're just worn out, Jesus said, come to me. I'll give you rest for your soul. Let's bow our hearts. Let's pray together. And I encourage you, don't everybody run out. Let's take some time and pray. Because when the last, there's a last person that will get saved before the rapture happens. And I hope they're here today. Right? Well, that means that person, their heart will beat one side, one time on this side of salvation. And the next time it will beat on the other side of salvation. Which means we are a heartbeat away from the rapture of the church somewhere. Okay? If you don't know Christ... We're going to give you the opportunity as we worship to come, stand here. A friend brought you. They're going to say, come on, come on, I'll go down with you. Jesus said, if you're willing to confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father and all of the angels in heaven. Father, I know you've overheard. We look to you. Your word says you add to the church daily. Such as should be saved. This is not our business. It's yours. But Lord, you sent us. You asked us to bring this message. You asked us to speak to a lost world of your love. So, Lord, today we pray that, Lord, any that may be here that don't know you, you would change that, Lord. Even those who may feel they've been religious, but all they've had is religion and never relationship. And, Lord, those who feel that they have outsinned your ability to forgive them, Lord, today we pray you overwhelm them by your spirit, with your love. You draw them, Lord, today to a new life, to forgiveness. We know you're able, Lord. We put it before you, Lord, we're going to lift our hearts and our voices in worship. And uh, Lord, we, we ask that you would take the rest of this, uh, Lord, uh, imperfect presentation and use it to your glory. Lord, we pray in your name. Amen.